Cool. I just want to start off the evening uh, showing you a clip, actually. Um, so if you want to take your eyes to the screen, you've got to love friends. You've got to love a bit of friends. Isn't it interesting how Ross's anger uh, kind of festers and then it explodes? And isn't it interesting that, you know, Ross is already angry with kind of big stuff that's going on in his life, stuff that's gone wrong, but he misdirects his anger towards his boss. I don't know about you, but I know I can kind of relate to that. Well, who here likes being angry like me? You don't have to stick your hand up. But I don't know, I think there's something about the rage that swells up that can be quite comforting sometimes. If if I'm really honest, I think sometimes I enjoy uh, being angry. Um, I think it's, it's safer to admit that you feel hurt or uh, you're frustrated. It's, it's a less vulnerable emotion. Sometimes we can hold on to anger for a long time, allowing it to fester like Ross did. And it can bring all sorts of feelings, resentment, bitterness and stress all along the way. It usually has an effect on the way we behave and some of the words and the language that uh, we express. If you are anything like me, you will find it hard to deal with your anger in a positive way. Now anger, not all anger is wrong. Anger can be emotion that shows that we care. Just think if we didn't get angry about anything. It would show a couldn't care less attitude or kind of moral apathy towards things. I agree with what J. John says when he says on the matter... Given some of the injustices of the world today, not to feel anger would be sinful. At first, this might seem like a strange thing to say, but we see that in the Bible, God gets angry at the injustices that happen all around the world. What kind kind of God would he be if he didn't get angry at injustice, at uh, hypocrisy and lies and and, uh, people who inflict pain on each other? Well... Today, we continue with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we look at his teaching on anger. But before we jump in, I just want to remind ourselves of the context of the passage, and just a little bit about what we heard last week. So, last week, we had Foxy speaking up here, and he was explaining that Jesus was not here to abolish the Old Testament law, but to bring people back to its original purpose. Jesus did not speak against the law itself, but against abuses and excesses that had been done to it. And you know, we heard that there was uh, Pharisees in Jesus' day who added laws around the laws that had already been given. And these laws were, would almost act as a, a hedge or a fence around God's law, trying to ensure that not one of God's laws would be broken. You know, an attempt to ensure, uh, to keep right in God's sight. And over hundreds, uh, if not thousands of laws were added, and they were passed down from generation. I have a few examples. A new lamp can be moved from one place to another on the Sabbath, but not an old one. Hot food may be kept warm by covering with cloths made of feathers or linen, but not by cover, covering with damp herbs or straw, which could produce, produce heat and therefore work. 
Well, that sounds a bit over the top to me. And I think Jesus thinks that they've missed the point. See, what these added laws tended to do was encourage an attitude of working hard at, at ticking boxes. Um, people uh, would, excuse me, <coughs> people would do what was required out of a sense of duty and not really out an attitude of loving obedience to God. And at worst, it would fuel a self-righteous attitude that congratulated themselves on how many laws they could keep and at the same time help them condemn how many uh, other people weren't keeping them. You see, the laws could, could change actions but not, did not always change heart attitudes. And that is, of course, what God is after, our hearts. So... We get to today's passage where Jesus opens up one of the uh, one of the big commandments from the from the Big Ten, and he just um, explores and, and sees what what's really going on behind them. Let's have a listen to what he says. You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder," and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you. That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, in the first part of this reading, Jesus has this phrase of saying, he says, but I say to you. Now this can almost sound like He's kind of getting rid or replacing what was said in, in the Old Testament. But or, or I guess it, it could be uh, adding, adding to it. I'm going to add this, tag this on. But I think what he's actually doing is, is going deeper and, and opening up. He's kind of uh, agreeing with the authority of that command, if you like. Um, and so he says, he says this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This is him opening it up, okay? God is not only against murder, but the root cause, hatred. Hatred may not be illegal, but it should have no place among the people of God. Hatred will have to face judgment too. God wants to stop more than the action of murder. He wants to go further and stop the things in our thought life that act as seeds of murder. It's interesting that the Pharisees, they didn't commit murder, yet they were angry enough with Jesus that they would soon plot his death, though they would not do the dirty work themselves. The, the passage also points out how much uh, God values human life. Of course, the command not to murder speaks plainly of that. 
But it can be also seen in the way Jesus attacks the slanderers who call people fool. Now the word used for fool in the passage, as in whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire, was an Aramaic word called raka. Now this kind of for us translates as something like fool or idiot, but it also kind of carries a nastier edge that implied something like, I wish you'd never been born, or you don't deserve to be here. So quite, quite a, a harsh, quite harsh word. But Jesus says, no, you know, we are all made in, we're made in God's image and are so highly valued by Him. And, and uh, Ephesians 2.10, one, Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses says, of each and every person, in this room and and ever made that we are God's original workmanship we are his original masterpiece so it is not right to have an attitude that arrogantly dismisses one of God's children over the years uh, some have taught on the sermon on the mount kind of as a high ideal or difficult teachings that are too hard for us to reach. Lovely sentiments, but impossible for practical living. When this is done, uh, people seem to classify Jesus' teachings as meant for attitudes, but not actions. For repentance, but not obedience. They are merely illustrations of good principles, like love, but not meant to be followed in practice. But you see, Jesus, he doesn't really leave this attitude an option. And when we get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he has a couple of uh, things that he ends with. Um, one of them says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then after that, He says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. You see, Jesus Jesus means business by his sermon. He, He wants us to take his words seriously. And so, from the first verse, uh, you know, Jesus' teaching is sometimes said, um, I kind of summarized as I command you not to be angry or I command you not to call anyone a fool but I don't think this is really getting to the point of what he's saying and I don't think there really are commands because Jesus himself got angry and he even called the Pharisees fools now he didn't use the same word raka, the harsh word but he did call them fools and we see in Mark 3, 5 um, of Jesus, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. In Matthew 21, we see an angry Jesus in the temple, you know, kind of using force to drive out uh, those who uh, sold and bought in the temple. And then in Matthew 23:17, Jesus calls the Pharisees fools when giving them a right good telling off in the seven woes to the scribes and, and Pharisees. 
You see, anger can be a healthy, normal human emotion, but it's the way we express it and deal with it that can be right or wrong. Paul says in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so both Jesus and Paul recognized that we can't really avoid being angry. And Jesus recognizes that we can get caught in these kind of vicious cycles of being angry and insulting one another. He's just being realistic. We do get angry, we do insult one another, and it does lead to trouble. His teaching is much more practical than don't be angry. He tries to go to the heart and teaches us how to deal with our anger. And so it's when we get to the second part of the passage that Jesus shows us how. Just to remind you, he says this. So if you were offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now it's in these verses where we, we kind of get some commands. Um, and I would like to say they're, they're more than commands. Um, I like to call them transforming initiatives. And they kind of provide a, a way to deliver us from our, our anger and uh, anger that can lead to killing. It's almost like it's Jesus' mini conflict resolution manual. And the three transforming initiatives that he gives are this. Leave, go, and be reconciled. These commands or transforming initiatives take action. They are not passive, they are active. So leave. To the original hearers um, on the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee, <clears throat> this statement would have made quite a stir to go and leave the altar. You see, to make the effort to go all the way to the temple courtyard, buying a sacrificial animal along the way, and then suddenly remembering some relationship that has gone wrong. You know, the scene's starting to kind of become a bit comic. It takes about three days to get back to Galilee, where the, the hearers of the sermon lived. And, you know, they would leave the, the animal in the temple altogether for six days while they went uh, they made a reconciliation with who they were angry with and then came back to the temple to offer up their gift. You see, he's kind of like exaggerating his point, um, which he often does. And I think the point is, is that you must live kind of day by day in such a way that when you come to worship, there's no anger, angst between you and your neighbor or your sister or your brother. And, you know, he's, he's making it a priority. We all live busy lives. Life can be hectic. We can get caught up in all sorts of things. But Jesus is making the point that we are to make reconciliation a priority. This involves making a conscious decision to put other things aside. And uh, number two, to go. 
This means we're going to go, we're going to take action. We're going to go find the person and take the initiative. We are to be proactive. This is not letting the sun go down on our anger, not letting our anger fester over and over. This may not be uh, mean going in the heart of the in the heat of the moment when we may be irrational or defensive and really upset, but it does mean facing the issues sooner rather than later. Sometimes it may take a while to deal with our anger because we are deeply hurt. You know, we're deeply upset. And so going may take a while. But the eventual aim is to go and is to face things and resolve them. You know, when you go, it takes courage. Courage to face difficult conversations, uh, you know, confrontation. This, this can be a real challenge. All different thoughts may be going through your head, especially when you feel you were justified in your anger. Or you may feel that you were a victim. Yet Jesus here makes no distinction. The point is, we are to go. Which then leads us onto the third part. And if you thought the first two were hard, this is even harder. Be reconciled. You know, when, when we hear that command, suddenly um, going to give someone a good earful... Someone, you know, going to tell someone how we feel and let them have it. Being reconciled stops us in our tracks, doesn't it? Because being reconciled means we are to go there with a frame of mind, frame of mind to be reconciled with someone, to to make peace with someone. This won't really happen if we're going to give them all we've got. Jesus had said earlier. In the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Our object here is not to make sure that wrong things done against us are righted, but the point is to be at peace with one another. And, you know, this may involve admitting that we've done wrong and offering or accepting the big F word, forgiveness. And, you know, forgiveness is is really hard. It's really hard. It's one of the things I think most of us really struggle with. Um, But I think when we're faced faced with reconciliation, it can be one of the things, part of the process that we, we come to. And I think... I think being reconciled is really worthwhile and it can do some really great things. And I just want to list a few great things that come from this. One, it actually says that you value the person. You value your relationship enough with them that you want to see past the issues that you have with one another and you want to sort things out. Two, it transforms the angry person into an active peacemaker. Three, forgiveness gives perspective on the matter and can help us see a bigger picture. It makes you see a human being in front of you who God loves just as much as you. It hopes to to transform an enemy into a friend. 
another thing that Jesus speaks about. And finally, it reflects the relationship we have with God, the way he has acted towards us. He has reconciled himself to us by dying on the cross so that we may, so that we may enter into an everlasting relationship with him. So, Jesus' teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount is not to be understood as mere inner attitudes, vague intentions, or moral convictions, but regular practices to be lived out. These initiatives are to be part of our everyday normal life. For example, whenever we find ourselves angry or insulting someone, we are to talk things over talk things through, and seek to make peace. As we do this, we become better at conflict resolution. You know, and like anything else, the more you do things, the better you become. And I think, you know, I think dealing with our our anger is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to face. Um, But I was just reminded of, of this verse when I was writing this um, in Philippians that says for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength and I think I'm just going to leave it there and I'm going to ask everyone to stand up and close their eyes um, and we're just going to pray Father, I thank you um, so much that you you do love us. I thank you so much that through Christ we can do anything, that you, you give us strength. You know, and I thank you, Lord, that you are the God that delights in his children, that you, you love us so much, and whatever pain and struggles that we've been through, You've been right there by by our side, but also, Lord, that you can bring healing into our circumstances. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you are an active God. You are a loving God. And I just pray now by your spirit that you would come and fall in this place. I just pray for, for more of you to fill this place. More of you, Jesus. More of you. You know, in a minute we're going to respond and worship our amazing creator, but let's not leave this chance with a, uh, by having an opportunity to pray. And there was just a few things that, that came to my mind when I was writing this talk that we would love to pray with you this evening. One would be that you may feel that um, anger is something that has kind of got a hold on you, um, and you just want to be free of it. We would love to pray with you to start that process. Also, I felt God saying, you know, there might be someone uh, you have who you really feel that you need to reconcile a broken relationship with. Someone you know you need to make peace. And, you know, you want God to help you do that. Again, we'd love to pray with you. And then finally, 
It might be that you feel that you need to forgive someone who's deeply hurt, hurt you, and you'd like to start that process tonight. So if there's anything like that, or just anything that came up in the talk where you feel God is, uh, is moving in you, don't miss that opportunity to come and pray.